This morning, I'm uh, happy to introduce my friend, uh, uh, Brother Corey Bain. And uh, so he's got, you've got the handout, get your Bible ready, and he's going to come and teach us. Amen. I sure appreciate that, preacher. And uh, welcome, and uh, what a great day it is to be in the house of the Lord. And so thankful that you're here in the Sunday school hour. And again, as folks come in, you're going to get the worksheets to them maybe as they come in. That's awesome. And we'll get our Bibles here, Ephesians chapter number four, please. I've enjoyed getting to know your pastor uh, throughout, uh, oh, the last six or eight months in particular. And uh, looking forward even to September, we already have uh, some dates on the uh, calendar there for family conference. And uh, I'll actually have my wife to come and be with us uh, for those days. And so you'll get to meet my wife. She doesn't travel with me every weekend. And, uh, but uh, sometimes just depending on where I'm going, how long I'm going to be gone. There's some trips I'm gone 10 or 12 days, you know, at a stretch and sometimes just over uh, the weekend. But uh, thank God for good wives that uh, just kind of stand and, and hold the ropes at home. Amen. There's also a grandbaby back in New Jersey. And sometimes she has to choose between me and him. Guess who wins? How, how many grandmas here know the, ba the grandbaby always wins? Amen. And uh, what an exciting time of life it is. And my grandson will turn four uh, here just, um, well, I guess it's next week. And we got a big birthday party that's uh, planned for that. So this is a special and fun time of life. Uh, uh, Brother Buddy, I've not met you. Get to meet you maybe between the services. My, my father is a chaplain at Tomoka State Prison in Daytona Beach. You've met my dad. I'm sorry. <laughs> okay, wonderful. And you know Brother Tom Benson that pastored in this area for many years? They go to the same church there. And uh, so that's awesome. And then whoever he said over here was in Las Vegas. I'm not sure who that was. I, I couldn't see. Now, he was picking on you a little bit, but I'm kind of wondering how he knows anything about that as well. How many other church members you were kind of worried that your preacher even knew about that? Amen? So anyhow... Uh, how many are going to plead the fifth on that one right there, all right? But uh, so awesome. Well, Ephesians chapter number four, we got to get right into this because uh, these uh, moments go very quickly. And I do want to do my best to help you, your church, and even in this hour, I'd like to really help your pastor. And uh, you'll understand what I mean by that as we get into the Bible study this morning. And because Sunday school is... Um, more of a Bible study. Uh, that's why I've developed the worksheet. I'd like you to kind of stay with me and I'll try to maybe guide you on what you can write down and so forth. But I've entitled uh, this lesson, What the Shepherd Most Needs from His Flock. How many of you know that in the Bible, the office of pastor is also likened to shepherding a flock of sheep? How many of you already knew that or were uh, familiar with that concept? Now, we know that Jesus is called the great shepherd, amen? And uh, he speaks about that in John chapter number 10 and, and the good shepherd and how uh, the sheep know, uh, know the, uh, the voice of the shepherd. And we know that's Jesus Christ. We know that in 1 Peter, the Bible also talks about Jesus being the chief shepherd. And we get that. But we also understand that in the analogy of the different offices that a pastor may hold in a local church, that one of those is that he is called, likewise, a shepherd. And so uh, I believe that uh, I can give um, this message, this lesson this morning, not just because it's very biblical, we're going to go to a lot of scripture, we'll start in Ephesians 4 in just a brief moment, 
But I believe that also I can utilize 32 years of pastoral ministry myself. I loved pastoring. It was one of the hardest things that God asked me to do about 14 months ago is he began to lay on my heart about stepping into this new adventure. And uh, I've enjoyed every moment of it. And God has been so faithful and has been so gracious and kind and taking good care of my needs. Uh, but to be quite honest, being in a different church every Sunday is very quite different than what I've been used to for over three decades of being in the same church and pastoring the same group of people, and may I say, shepherding the same flock. And so I've loved what I've done over these years, and now I'm asking the Lord to help me as I go to churches like yours, and maybe lessons like this that may help you to maybe more fully understand Him. You have a great pastor. I hope you know that. This man obviously has been through many trials and tribulations and struggles. Many of you probably have been here long enough to have gone through those valleys with him. And may I say thank you for that. And I know he would say thank you for that. Thank you for standing firm with your pastor. Thank you for loving him. Thank you for understanding the burdens that he carries. And so with that in mind, I'd like to give you a Bible study here and tell, talk to you just a little bit about the gift that God has given Heritage Baptist Church by giving you Pastor Tom Bish. Let's look in our Bibles, please. Ephesians chapter number 4 and verse number 11 and 12, a very familiar and famous passage. And the Bible says, And he gave some apostles and some prophets and some evangelists, and notice the next phrase, and some pastors and teachers, and I want you to notice that there's no period at the end of verse number 11 for the thought continues. And then we find the, the conjunction for, the preposition for, why? For the perfecting of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ. Father, I pray that you'd add your blessing now to the reading of this, of this passage. And Lord, I pray that as I would give what you've given to me, that this church would be edified and helped. Lord, in some ways, maybe as I can pastor for a day, as the preacher just said to me a few moments ago, and I, I count that as a great privilege, Lord, to, to stand in another man's pulpit. But Lord, I pray that you would help us to understand the office of pastor and Lord, for every Christian here to understand the, the precious gift that has been given to them by allowing them to have a man of God in their life. Lord, I pray that you would bless now this hour. I pray that you would bless the entire day. We surrender it to you. We want to step out of the way. I pray that you'll use your word, please, as only you can, to help this church. And we'll ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. I want you to write down the first statement there, the, the, the pastor. I want you to write down the word pastor. The word pastor is a dual usage word. And when I say dual usage word, what I mean by that is we've got a noun and we've got a verb. So I want you to write down beside the word noun, I want you to write down the word position. So as a pastor, we know that it can be used as a noun. We're talking there about the office or the position of pastor, but also the word can be used as a verb. And I want you to write down the word purpose. So you're writing down pastor, and then you're writing down position, and then you're writing down purpose. Hold your finger in Ephesians 4, and let's go back, please, to 1 Peter chapter number 5. 
And we're going to come back to Ephesians 4 in just a moment. But I want to just begin in the introduction here to, to tell you that the, the word pastor is both a position as well as it has a purpose. It can be used as a noun as well as it can be used as a verb. When we talk about the position of pastor, we find a little bit in 1 Peter chapter number 5. In fact, we find uh, another designation for this same office that we call pastor. Notice, if you will, please, in 1 Peter chapter 5, in verse number 1, in Peter's writing, and he says, The elders, notice that, we'll come back to that, The elders uh, which are among you I exhort, who also am an elder, there it is again, and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, and also a partaker of the glory that shall be revealed. Now notice in verse 2 what one of the jobs of the position of elder is. Feed the what of God. Talk to me, church. The, the flock of God. Now we've already said, look this way, we've already said that the, the pastor is known also as a shepherd. And here he's likening this office as well as elder, this designation of elder. And he says, one of your jobs, one of your purposes here is to feed the flock of God, which is among you taking the oversight thereof, not by constraint, but willingly, not for filthy lucre, but of a ready mind. Neither as being lords over God's heritage. Well, that's a good word right there, Heritage Baptist Church, amen? And he talks about God's heritage. I hope you know that, that you have a biblical name in the very name of your church, amen? And he's talking about the elder that has this wonderful heritage that has been given and he says, not as being lords over God's heritage, but being examples, notice again, to the, what's the next word there, church? To the flock. And when the chief shepherd shall appear, ye shall receive a crown of glory that fadeth not away. Now, can I do just a little bit of teaching here? And we're going to really delve into it a little later in the outline. But there are multiple phrases or words, terminologies, verbiage, that is used for the office that Pastor Bish holds at Heritage Baptist Church. One of those we know is, is pastor. We call him Pastor Tom Bish. But here in 1 Peter 5, Peter is also likening this same office to, call, to being called an elder. Uh, we also know that uh, because of the position of elder that there is given some oversight there. The Bible says that in verse uh, uh, number uh, 2, uh, taking the oversight. Uh, we also see in verse number 2, one of his jobs is to feed the flock of God. I, I want you to kind of think about a shepherd in Psalm 23, right? The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He maketh me to lie down in green pastures. He leadeth me beside the still waters. And so the green pastures and the still waters, it's the picture of the shepherd doing what? Leading the sheep to their grazing spot, right? Allowing them to be fed, allowing them to be, re uh, to be refreshed. And may I say to you that every Sunday morning and night and Wednesday evening, as your pastor stands behind this wonderful sacred desk, one of his jobs is to feed you the, as the flock of God. That's one of his positions. That's one of his purposes, we know that he's called elder and an overseer, a feeder. The Bible says he's to be an example. Notice that in verse number three. He said, you're not lords over God's heritage. Uh, we are not talking about being a dictator here. I do believe that the Bible is very clear that the pastor has authority in the local church. Or we might use the word leadership. 
And, and, and I believe that you want to go to a church where God's man is leading the flock of God. Amen? Not dictating, but giving leadership. Taking some oversight. You know why? Because that's a part of God's job for him. I guess I'm trying to get you to understand, I think, probably what you already know, but maybe another voice coming in to say, your pastor is basically just fulfilling God's roles in your life. He is a wonderful gift that has been given to your church and to you particularly and personally. So number one, we find that the word pastor is a position. But let's go back to our text in Ephesians 4. But it's also used as a verb that has a purpose. Uh, we might use it in a sentence. We, as a noun, we might say, uh, the pastor of Heritage Baptist Church is Tom Bish. That's used as a noun. We also might say, though, Pastor Tom Bish utilizes his gifts by being a pastor or by, we might say, pastoring you, pastoring you. You see, that's a verb. It's being used as the activity. It's being used as what he does. You know, we often, uh, Brother Bish, get teased as preachers that we only work one day a week, you know. Well, he shows up on Sunday and, you know, he uh, kind of works uh, maybe a couple of hours and so forth. Can I tell you the job of a pastor, I promise you, is never done after Sunday. I promise you, a, a pastor that is worth his salt, he is studying, he is preparing, he is praying, he is visiting, he is counseling, he is caring for you, he is administrating the local church, he is giving to you what God has given to him. And may I say to you, verbs are in the active tense, right? That means pastoring is a busy, busy job. And praise the Lord that you don't have a lazy preacher. Can someone say amen right there? You've got a man of God that comes prepared and a man of God that loves you and a man of God that has been here for these couple of decades and he is fulfilling both his position and his purpose. So what are some of his purposes? Look back at Ephesians 4, please. Ephesians 4, verse 11. We saw that there's, these were the different offices here. Pastor and teacher mentioned at the end of verse 11. But notice why you're given a pastor. Notice why this office of pastor is for your, what? For your perfection. Look at verse 12. For the perfecting of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ. That's his purpose. I want you to understand that as he preaches and as he counsels and that as he prays with you and as he gives leadership here in your church, he is basically just fulfilling verse number, verse number 12. It is for your purpose and your perfection that you are given a pastor. He is to bring perfection to you. Now, we know, again, biblically, that doesn't mean to be what we would say perfect, meaning without sin. None of us are without sin. The Bible word perfect means spiritually mature. Hey, watch. A part of his job is to get you to take another step in your Christian faith. Amen. Hey, I know it's Sunday school. Is everybody out there this morning? Let's, let's nod our heads so I know you're awake. Can you do that for me, please? And you're allowed to say amen, all right? I think you're allowed, even when he's here, you're allowed to say it, even when a guest preacher's here, all right? When he steps on your toes, it may be because the Holy Spirit of God is bringing some conviction to your life through his preaching ministry to get you to be a little more perfect in Christ a little more spiritually mature. And guess what? Don't get mad at him. I, I've said this for years. Don't shoot the messenger, right? I'm just reading the message, amen? Uh, don't blame me. Don't be upset with me. If I'm preaching the Bible, take it up with God who wrote it, amen? He's just delivering the goods. Why? His job is to perfect the saints. 
That's his job. His job is to get you to work in the ministry. Look at verse 12. For the work of the ministry. For the edifying of the body of Christ. I love it when a pastor is able to preach edification sermons. Amen? Uh, building up and helping you and, and dealing with the problems and issues of life and helping you to take the word of God and to be able to walk even through the valleys of the shadow of death. But you fear no evil for the Lord is with you. How often does he preach sermons that remind you of your edification in Christ? Uh, the power of the word of God. You see, that's a part of his job. So as we get into the next portion of the outline here, so three main titles for this office. I've already given three to you. I want you to go ahead and write them down, and they're going to give you a quick explanation. All right, so under where it says scriptural term, I want you to write down first, under number one, the word elder. We just saw that in 1 Peter 5. The elder. Beside that, under definition, I want you to write spiritual maturity. So the elder is one that is to give and to have spiritual maturity. And the application of that, I want you to write down the word preach. So basically I'm showing you that the office of pastor is, is, is a dual focus. It is a multifaceted uh, 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 position here. And one of his positions is to preach the word of God to you. That is what we might call the elder. Uh, when we think about elder, we think about age. But that does not necessarily only mean physical age. I believe it's speaking more about spiritual age or spiritual maturity. Do you know that there can be some young men that are called into the ministry and they go to Bible college and they enter into the ministry. And they may not have a lot of experience, but they have a lot of spiritual maturity. I pray for young men often. I get to teach at Vision Baptist College and I'm enjoying teaching preacher boys. I'm, I'm preaching, uh, teaching pastoral counseling, uh, finishing up that for the spring semester. And I have 21 uh, senior boys that are about to graduate. And I pray often for them and I say, God, would you give them wisdom beyond their years? You ever heard someone say that? Wisdom beyond their years? You see, some of these men of God are gonna step into the office of pastor and even the office of elder, they may be in their 20s, but if they have been a student of the Word of God, if they have been a man of God, if they have been a, a prayer and a studier of the Word of God, and they're able to bring the passage, they're able to bring the preaching of the Word of God with great power and conviction, they are just ministering in the office of elder, even though they may be in their 20s. I took my first church when I was 26. I had already been five years in the ministry as a youth pastor, but at the age of 26, the ripe old age, amen, of 26, I, I, I went to Delaware, Ohio, and 35 people voted me in to be their pastor, and I often say, what were they thinking, right, at 26? But I understood my call. I was called to preach at 13. I knew what God had asked me to do with my life, and I'd prepared, and I'd gone to Bible college, and I had been a student of the Word of God. I may not have been very old in age, but I hopefully had a lot of spiritual maturity because every pastor has to be able to take the Word of God, and one of his jobs is to preach as an elder in the church. May I say to you, your pastor is an elder and should be respected as such, not just because of his age, but because of the spiritual maturity that he brings to you the depth of messages, the ability to take the word of God and help you with it. That's one of his jobs. What's another one of his jobs? Well, number two, I want you to write down the word bishop. Bishop, that is also a terminology that we've not yet looked at. 
just for the sake of time, we won't turn over there, but if you want to write down 1 Timothy 3, verse number 1, the Bible says, if a man desire the office of a bishop, he desireth a good work. And then, of course, if you know anything about that passage, it begins to give his qualifications. A man must be blameless and the husband of one wife and, and uh, his children in, you know, uh, ruled uh, well in his family and, and uh, uh, not given to wine. And all of these requirements for what we call a bishop. So what, what is the bishop here in our outline? So you've written number two, bishop. I want you to write down the word overseer. Overseer. That's the definition. The word bishop in the Greek language, it, it, it's, uh, it's uh, episkopos is what the Greek word is. And it means to be an overseer. It, it has to do maybe with what we might say his leadership in the church. We might call it the administration of the church, the guiding hand of the church. And see, this is a part of his job. Well, who does he think he is? I'll tell you who he thinks he is. He is just merely one of God's servants that also has the responsibility to have oversight of this church right here. In fact, we read about it in 1 Peter 3, didn't we? Taking the oversight willingly. Not, not, not begrudging what God has asked him to do. Look, look my friends, every, in a church, someone's got to be the leader. Someone's got to be the administrator. Someone's got to give the guidance. And guess who that is? Biblically in the church, it's the office of, of bishop. What we call an elder, a bishop. What, how, how, what's the application of that? Write down the word preside. Okay, we said preach for elder. We're going to give you the word preside. Uh, that's where we get the word president from. It's someone who is in charge. He presides. He has some authority. Now, let me just, let me just uh, parenthesize here just a moment. Please don't misunderstand me. We understand that the, the chief shepherd is Jesus Christ, right? We understand the one to whom we give honor and all honor is due is none other than Jesus Christ in the church, right? We're not talking about the pastors above, the, uh, above Christ. We're not talking about that. What we are talking about is the human structure. Because Jesus Christ is not here. He went back to heaven 2,000 years ago, right? And he gave us a system, if we can call it that, he gave us an organism, he gave us the gift of the local church, and he said, I'm going to put a pastor, someone that I'm going to call a bishop here, and I'm going to give him some leadership so that he can guide the church, he can preside over the church. The third term I want you to write down is the word pastor. Now that's the one we often call him, the pastor. Number three, pastor. The definition, probably you can guess it, I've already said it, it's the word shepherd. It actually comes from the Greek word poimen, means to tend to the flock, the shepherd of the flock. And the application of that, I want you to write down the word people. So, so as the elder, he's the preacher, right? As the bishop, he's the presider, he's the, the authority, he's the guider, he's the leader, but as the pastor, he's, he's taking care of you, the people. Just like a shepherd takes really good care of his sheep. Aren't you glad to know that the Lord is your shepherd? Aren't you glad Psalm 23 is there? But we often run to that for comfort, don't we, and guidance in times of great need. Aren't you glad also that God calls the New Testament pastor a shepherd because he likewise is one you can go to when you are in great need? Who do you call when you want someone to pray for you? 
Probably it's your pastor. Now, there may be others, but I think your pastor ought to be on that list. Amen. He ought to be one that you give a, an affection to a, a, uh, in your heart, knowing that he is a man of God that can get a hold of God and that knows God and that can lead you in the things of God. Oh, we didn't say he's perfect. Nothing here did we say that the position of pastor is, is above you. In fact, we're all, even pastors, we're called ministers. We're servants of the Lord, that's all. We're no better than you, but there is a role in the local church. Does that make sense? There's a designation. He has been called to this designation of pastor and bishop and elder. You see, as we said, the Greek language there talks about the shepherd tending to the flock. A shepherd gives protection, but a shepherd also gives correction. Are you with me? Sometimes his sermons in his preaching role, sometimes his sermons bring correction to the flock, right? Isn't that what a shepherd, a good shepherd does that. A good shepherd feeds the flock of God. We just saw that in 1 Peter 3, right? Now, what does he use to feed the, word, uh, to feed the flock of God? Well, we know it's, it's the scriptures, right? How many of you know that sometimes the scriptures step on my toes and other times they comfort me in my greatest times of need? In fact, I've heard this preacher often, I've used this as a, uh, as a pastor over the years, but um, uh, that my job is twofold. As a pastor, sometimes I am supposed to comfort the afflicted and sometimes I'm to afflict the comfortable. I want you to think about it that way. Those are two sides to, to the job that your pastor has. Sometimes he's to bring you great comfort in, in a time of need or a time of loss. Why? Because he's the pastor and he's bringing protection to you. But as a good shepherd, he also is correcting you. He's a, the Bible talks about the rod and the staff. They comfort me. Remember that in Psalm 23? The staff had, had a little crooked end and it had a straight end, right? So one, he's, he's keeping away the enemy, and the other, he's rescuing the, the lost sheep that has wandered away. Isn't that awesome? Isn't that a wonderful job that this, this position has been given for your benefit and for the benefit of your church? So in the last few moments that we have left, I'd like to give you some observations, all right? I think that's where we are in the outline there. Hope you've been... Uh, kind of tracking with me and keeping up and I wanted to lay a biblical foundation. Now I'd like to give you six just very practical thoughts from this message. Number one, I want you to write this down, please. God, and here's the word I want you to write down, appoints, ordains, and sets apart. That's what I want you to write down. God appoints, ordains and sets apart men to serve him in a spiritual leadership capacity. In a spiritual leadership capacity. Let's look at those first couple of words. In fact, Paul used the word that he was appointed a preacher. You know, at some point in your pastor's history and his past... And I don't think I even know the whole story. And maybe at lunch you can tell me this whole story. I, I'd like to hear about your call to the ministry. How did God work in your heart to appoint you, to bring you to a particular call? And can I say, friends, that is one thing that differentiates maybe just the, 
the, what we might call the lay people of the church, and I understand maybe we shouldn't even use that terminology, but the, the church folks, you, the members here, what maybe differentiates what you are asked to do by God and what he has been asked to do by God? I believe there's a call. I mentioned a moment ago, at the age of 13, I felt the call of God. It wasn't, you know, weird and spooky and mystical, and I didn't hear a great voice that came out of heaven. But because I had surrendered myself even as a younger boy and growing up in a preacher's home, it's almost like Samuel was, was listening for the voice of God. Remember the story about Eli? Remember one night God came to him and he, ran, he thought it was Eli and Eli didn't go back to bed, boy, three times. And then he finally figured it out. God's calling this young man. That, that's, that's a call. And every pastor has experienced that in his, in his life. And it's not, not necessarily the same in every man's life. But I want you to, to understand that what he does with his life, he's appointed to do. He's also ordained to do. That's also another Bible word. Paul talks about that in the ordination of younger men of God into the, into the ministry. We talk about let the laying on of hands, right? All of that is, is for a particular reason. God has called a young man out and the man has surrendered and then that man is, is ordained and sent out. You think about Acts 13. Remember where these seven men in, in, in Antioch and, and uh, uh, they found Saul and Barnabas and they, they laid their hands on them, they prayed over them and they, what, they sent them out. What, what, what sent them to the call? Their appointed ministry, their ordination they're set apart, and these men are set apart to serve in a spiritual leadership capacity. Uh, look at it again in our text. Are you still in Ephesians 4? Look at verse 11. We read it a moment ago, and he gave some, notice the offices here, some apostles. Now, we know that that is a, a position that is no longer in existence. There were certain criteria for someone to be an apostle, one of which was they had to have seen the post-resurrected Savior. Can I just say to you, that happened 2,000 years ago. Apostles are no longer today. Understand that. There's not this succession of, of uh, or apostolic succession. They're called. No, that was an office in the Old Testament uh, and, and into the New Testament. The apostles, the prophets, that, that was an Old Testament office. Evangelists, obviously we know that, that God's calling men uh, to uh, evangelize in the Great Commission, all of that, and then pastors and teachers. I want you to notice that these are certain set-apart specific offices, and your pastor holds that here at Heritage. Number two, I've got to quickly move on here. I want you to notice that the church is the, here's the two words I want you to write down. The church is the organism, organism versus an organization. It's an organism versus an organization, kind of a play on words there, through which God allows these men to minister. Can I just say this morning, if you're a part of Heritage Baptist Church, in fact, how many of you, you are officially a member, a part of Heritage Baptist Church? Can I see your hand? This is your church, all right? Guess what? You're not just part of, of some old organization like a, a Moose Lodge or the Elks or, you know, some uh, nonprofit that you believe in or, you know, I'm going to go uh, rescue all the dogs. And, and I'm not saying that these things are necessarily uh, uh, wrong. Now, some of them may be. But my point is, it's not just an organization that you're a part of. You're a part of something that is living, Amen. an organism. 
Something that is living, that's alive. Aren't you glad you go to a church that isn't dead? Aren't you glad that we preach the holy word of God and we preach about a resurrected Savior? I think that's what we celebrated last Sunday. Amen? He's alive and he lives within my heart. You see, you're a part of something bigger than you. You're a part of an organism, not just an organization. Oh, there's probably a lot of people have church membership in a lot of places, maybe right here in, in your town. But it, it does not meet the criteria of what a true church is. A living organism that is on the move, that is moving forward in this culture. Oh, we say uh, churches are archaic and, and uh, churches are all old-fashioned. No, 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 my friend. 2,000 years ago, Jesus set up the church. He ordained the church as the institution by which we would get the gospel to a lost and dying world. And he hasn't stopped that command. We're still going on the last command that Jesus gave us. Go into all the world and preach the gospel. And the gospel brings life. Amen. Can I give you the third one quickly because I'm running out of time. God gives these men gifts. That's the word I want you to write down. Gifts to help the church. I think we've already kind of touched on this a little bit. Some of the positions that we spoke of and the, even the Greek terminology of what it means to be a pastor, a shepherd, an elder, a, an episkopos, a bishop, an overseer, a feeder of the word of God. Guess what? When God asks a man to step into ministry, he then gifts that man to do so. Uh, we, we could talk about spiritual gifts, for instance. How many of you know there's a spiritual gift of teaching? Sure. So a gift of helps. Uh, the gifts were not just given to pastors. The gifts were given to every Christian. You have a gift. You, and you may have multiple gifts, but you have at least one. And guess what you're supposed to do with those gifts? Use them. Right? Amen. Guess what? Your pastor was given gifts as well. Your, your pastor is a very gifted preacher. Amen. That's a gift God gave him for you. That's what I'm getting to. Here's how I want to end this. These gifts were given, God gives these men gifts to help the church, but watch number four, God gives these men as gifts to the local church. We see that in Ephesians 4. Look at it, look at it, verse 11. And he gave, notice that, speaking of Christ, Paul is talking under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. Here's what Christ did so the church could move forward. He gave some apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors. Get, get this, church, look at me, Heritage. God gave you, God gave Heritage a gift when he gave Tom Bish to you to be your pastor. As a gift. Not only did he give him gifts for you, he gave you a gift in him. What are you supposed to do with a gift? You're supposed to appreciate it. Amen. Amen. You're supposed to honor it. Amen. You're supposed to enjoy it. Amen. Right? And can I just say to you, your pastor was given to you for you. He was given to you to help the church. He was given to you to lead the church and to guide the church and to preach to the church and to help the church to move forward. And this morning, as I said in the opening, what does your shepherd most need from the flock? I hope that you would understand what you have and to, from time to time maybe let him know that you know what you have. You know, a thank you note might not be a bad idea to tell your pastor how much you appreciate him. 
You say, well, I'm a pastor. We do that in October, right? Pastor Appreciation Month. I think probably it might be okay to be appreciated other than the, uh, other than the months of October, amen? You know what? I think that would do him a world of good for you to let him know how you appreciate him. You see, I understand that, that this may be hard for him even to hear while I'm speaking, specifically for him to even say these things to his church. But guess what? I'm an outsider. I can come in and maybe show you from the word of God the wonderful, precious gift you've been given so that you may appreciate what you have here at Heritage Baptist Church. Can I say this? I travel a lot. I see a lot of churches. There aren't a lot of churches like yours around the country. Happy, serving, spirit-filled, growing. You got a big Christian school. You got staff members. You got a pastor that loves you and preaches the word of God. Folks are getting saved. Missionaries are being sent. Come on now. You get to be a part of a wonderful thing called the church. And God gave you a pastor to help lead and guide not just the church, but you personally as well. God gave them as gifts. Number five, God gives these men for a purpose. He gave for a purpose, verse 12, why? The perfecting of the saints, the work of the ministry, the edifying of the body of Christ. We've run out of time. I'll just give you the words for number six so we finish the outline, right? The church should allow God to use these gifts. The church should allow God to use these gifts in his life to accomplish his purpose in their lives. So you're writing church use gifts his purpose. What does Pastor Bish need from you? Well, he loves you so much. He lives his life for you. He's there when you need him. Can I just stop and say there may be times that he needs you. Your, your, your pastor buried his wife a few years ago. He may need you to remember that. Uh, your pastor deals with health issues. You, I'm not telling you something you don't know. But he's still in his place. He's still doing what he's supposed to do. Maybe he needs just to have you to remind him he's not, he's not in this alone. In fact, you're not doing this alone. Aren't you glad the church is a team? Aren't you glad we're all family, the family of God? And so I would just encourage you, these short thoughts here, that you'll understand the precious gift that you have in this man right here. He's not perfect. He's not, he's not to be revered or worshipped. No, no, that belongs to Jesus but as long as this man points you to God, points you to Christ, you can follow him. Amen. Father, I pray that you'll bless now these uh, thoughts from your word. And Lord, I pray that you would bless Brother Bish, Lord, in a special way. Bless him in his health. God, bless him in his heart. Bless him in his feelings and his emotions and his down days and his up days. And Lord, I pray that this congregation would stand together with him and for him. And as he stands with and for them as a congregation, that this would be a great team moving forward for the cause of Christ. Well, thank you for it. Please bless the hour that will come, the preaching hour. Fill your house, I pray. Do what only you can, and we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you.
well, yes, sir, I just had surgery yesterday. And he always, somehow, God always let him know. And Brother Fisher was just an amazing, is an amazing help in my life. And most recently, it's been a man by the name of Corey Bain. And I've heard of him over many years now, held him in high regard uh, for the work that God had used him to establish. But uh, we got to know each other just uh, within the last year. He's been to our church once before. We got him scheduled to come back in September for a family conference. But uh, the more I'm around him, the more he encourages my heart. And I know that at this season in my life, he is one of those people God's brought in to just uh, help me encourage me and teach me. I know I'm older than him, but I'm, I'm still smart enough to learn even from younger guys. Uh, he was a great blessing in our Sunday school hour. Those that were here, I think you can attest to that. He's going to be preaching for us this morning and again tonight. So Brother Tim is going to come read the scripture, so get your Bible ready. Uh, read the scripture and pray. We'll have some special music, and then Brother Bain, you come preach to us. Open your Bibles to Luke chapter 24. We're going to be reading some of the same verses we read last Sunday, Luke chapter 24. We'll be reading verses 1 through 8. I'll start on verse 1. You'll join me on verse 2. If you found it, Luke chapter 24. Again, I'll start on the first verse. You'll join me on the second. We'll go back and forth down through verse number 8. Luke chapter 24, verse number 1. Now upon the first day of the week, very early in the morning, they came unto the sepulcher, bringing the spices which they had prepared and certain others with them. And they found the stone rolled away from the sepulcher. And they entered in and found not the body of the Lord Jesus. And it came to pass, as they were much perplexed thereabout, behold, two men stood by them in shining garments. And as they were afraid and bowed down their faces to the earth, they said unto them, Why seek ye the living among the dead? He is not here, but is risen. Remember how he spake unto you when he was yet in Galilee, saying, The Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men, and be crucified, and the third day rise again. And they remembered his words. And let's pray. Dear Lord, thank you for loving us. Lord, thank you for allowing us to be in church today. Lord, I'm just asking you to remove distractions. Help us to focus on what you've got for us. Um, Give the, the preacher words and wisdom as he speaks, but help those of us that are listening to have the wisdom to catch what you have for us today, Lord. Thank you so much again for allowing us to be here. Bless the song and the sermon to follow. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. You may be seated. When we feel the world is crashing all around us We're helpless and afraid God seems so far away Oh, but He's a faithful friend He is with us till the end So don't you fear For God is ever near is enough. enough. Jesus meets my needs. He satisfies my longing heart. He's been so good to me.
penetrates the Father's hand. And when my strength fails and I feel I can't go on, Jesus reminds me of His love. He is enough. Are you walking through some heartache and pain? You don't understand how it's all in the Father's plan. Oh, but friend, let me tell you, He sees your every tear in your weakest moments. He's been so good to me. He is enough in a dry and thirsty land, in the midst of the valley, when I can't trace the Father's hand. And when my strength fails and I feel I can't go on, love. He is enough. Oh, when you can't go on, He will be enough. When your strength is almost gone, He will be enough. When the pathway grows dim, place your trust in Him. the Father's hand. And when my strength fails and I feel I can't go on, Jesus reminds me of His love. Jesus reminds me of His love. Jesus reminds me Don't you love good music that just sets the tone and the heart and the mood for the service? I sure appreciate that, ladies. Uh, I, uh, I have been over the years, over the decades, uh, a, a musician in my own churches. 
My wife is a very accomplished pianist, and both of my daughters uh, have been singers growing up, and just hearing that lady's harmony right there reminded me of my daughters singing together, and over the years, just hearing that great harmonies, and what a great message and song, amen? Reminded me of what uh, God said to Paul when Paul asked him to take away his thorn in the flesh, and he said, no, but my grace is sufficient. Sufficient means just enough just enough. I don't know what you're dealing with this morning. I don't know what you're going through today. Maybe a, a deep and dark valley. May I remind you that if you have Jesus, you have enough. Hang on. Hang on. It's been my joy to be here at Heritage now for the second time. Hard to believe. I think it was back in November that uh, I was here just for a Sunday morning. I was preaching over at Southington in Central Baptist and had to be back there for the evening service. And <clears throat> your pastor was so gracious and kind to allow me to come. And then kind of we flipped, uh, reversed the roles. Yesterday I was back at Central for the leadership conference. Your preacher was there as well. And uh, got to speak five different sessions to uh, many of the ministry workers there. And the pastors enjoyed that time so very much. And Dr. Townsley is a great friend. And I know he's a great friend to your church. And he loves your pastor and loves this church as well. And um, Dr. Townsley and I got to spend uh, about five days together just two weeks ago. We were down in North Carolina together. One of the things that I do in my new ministry is we, as the Lord opens the doors, and I may say a little bit more about this tonight. I don't want to take up too much preaching time, but just for your prayers about me and my new ministry after 32 years of pastoring, uh, I just go where, where God opens the doors, really. And uh, sometimes we'll go for an entire weekend to what we call a church consultation or a church ministry review. And uh, Dr. Townsley invited me to go along with him two weeks ago uh, to the great Gospel Light Baptist Church in Walkertown, North Carolina. Some of you may know that church. Dr. Bobby Robertson pastored that church for over 60 years. And just a great bastion of fundamentalism and how God has used that church. Well, there's a new pastor there now. Of course, Brother Bobby's in heaven and has been for a few years now, and Brother Morrison is there now. And again, a large, large ministry, a big Christian school and staff and huge properties and facilities. And so we got to be there and, and just try to be a help and a blessing to that church. So as God opens up other doors, uh, sometimes we go to very small churches, medium-sized churches and large. Uh, my goal is just to be a blessing and a help. May I say to you, you have been a blessing to me already. I appreciate your kind spirit. And I loved it, preacher, that you sang a moment ago, the family of God, because uh, I feel at home here. Amen. If I lived in Wallingford, Connecticut, you know where I'd go to church? I'd go right here to Heritage Baptist. Amen. And uh, I hope you have found your church home. And I trust that uh, you are happy in the service of the Lord. Now, the preacher told me that the front row usually is filled by teenagers and uh, it's all empty right now. And uh, I see some of you came in and you fought for the back rows there. But uh, the best seats in a Baptist church are right up front. Because usually they never get used, right? Uh, they have the thickest padding in them. And uh, I'm just teasing, of course. But I am glad that you're here today. Thank you for, for your attendance. I, I trust you'll come back this evening uh, as I get the opportunity to preach uh, here at Heritage all the way through tonight, and I trust that you'll be back tonight. I am looking forward to that family conference. My wife will be with me. That'll be in September, 
I think that's going to be a Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday service. I, I love the home and the family. I love the Christian home and uh, how God is going to use that to even strengthen the church. Well, we turn our attention now to Luke 24. And uh, I told the preacher before the Sunday school hour, I'm, I really was struggling between two sermons and two directions. And something he said... Uh, in the early hour that has just really solidified that this is the direction that I am to go. I, I do understand that this is the same passage as Brother Tim just mentioned, the same passage. I, I'm amazed that he remembers anything from last Sunday that was preached. I really am. I, I'm very... Oh, you got the notes. He has the notes right there. And, uh, you know, most PKs fall asleep during preaching. Amen? But uh, I can say that because I was a PK for all those years, but I'm just picking on him right now. And I'm going to pick on Brother Rob here. Brother Rob's not even here. You know, you all have great musicians here. I don't know that Brother Rob even has a job when he comes back. Amen? And you did a great job filling in. Amen. Oh, man. He's so humble over here, right? But uh, so awesome. And uh, what a great thing that is. You know, for 32 years as I pastored, I always, preacher, I always looked forward to Easter. And uh, I loved preparing Easter messages. I loved the Easter season. I loved uh, bringing uh, thoughts to our people, maybe that were a little bit unique from the Easter story. And uh, as, I, as I resigned from senior pastoring uh, about 14 months ago, that first Easter, uh, I didn't have any invitations to preach anywhere. Things were just getting started. And we actually went down to North Carolina to be with my other daughter, uh, who is married, and they work on the staff of Fellowship Baptist Church, Pastor Rick Finley, and teaching the Christian school there. So we got to go to Easter with them. He directs all their music, and so we just wanted to go down and be a part of their service. Well, the Lord opened the door last Sunday for me to be able to preach at a church on Easter Sunday. Can you believe that? And uh, down in, in Jersey, uh, Pastor Andy Reese has become a dear friend. And uh, Pastor Reese is likewise uh, struggling with cancer. He's got five children still at home. Please remember him. But uh, last Sunday, I got to preach in another man's pulpit on Easter Sunday. And the Lord led me to, to preach on the subject from Luke 24 entitled, A Graveyard is No Place to Look for Life. A Graveyard is No Place to Look for Life. It really was not an Easter sermon per se, but I felt as if we could take the story and could apply it to really every day of a Christian's life after Easter. Where are you looking for life? And I prayed about whether I should preach that same sermon I preached last Sunday in another church in Jersey, and then I thought I'd go a different direction. But uh, I believe this is what the Lord would have me uh, to say this morning. I, I don't know who's here, and I don't know who needs to hear what I'm about to say. But I trust that the Word of God would uh, be opened to all of us now this morning in our hearts, that God would give you exactly what you need today. If you're not saved today then there'll be enough gospel in this message for you to be able to be convicted of your sin, to also know that there is a Savior that is no longer in a grave, but He is alive and has been now for 2,000 years. In fact, may I say, He has always, He's always been the eternal God. He is Jesus Christ, the very Son of God and our Messiah. But three days later, He arose from the grave victorious over death, hell, and the grave, and, and He did that for your salvation, for mine. 
But really the sermon today is about what we are supposed to do with that new life that has been given to us. 2 Corinthians 5 and verse number 17, Therefore if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things are passed away, and behold, all things are become new. Often when somebody is baptized, the pastor, when they take that person under the water, and please remember, baptism has nothing to do with salvation. Amen? Baptism is after salvation, but it is an outward show of what has already happened on the inside. And we often, according to the mode of the Scripture, we baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost. And then often we say, buried with Him in baptism, raised to walk in newness, of life. Romans chapter number six. Don't turn there, but a great passage to study out about that. Do you know that when Jesus Christ saved your soul, it was not just a, a one-time happening. Now, yes, it was a one-time happening. I get that as it relates to salvation, but it was not to end on that day. It really is the beginning of life now and life eternal. Amen. And so I want to talk to you this morning from this passage in Luke 24 on the subject, a graveyard is no place to look for life. I read a story in preparation for this sermon that the famous evangelist and pastor D.L. Moody, pastor for many, many decades in Chicago, the great Moody church that is still there. I know that you've heard the name D.L. Moody. D.L. Moody was uh, called to preach as a young man and early in his his pastoring ministry, he was called upon to preach a funeral service. I remember those early days of pastoring and, and being asked to do those first funerals and first weddings and uh, first ordinations. And boy, you're just not really sure where you should go and what passage do we, do we preach from and, and what can I say that kind of sounds smart, you know, and, and how can I be a help and a blessing and, and all of that. And, and, and the story goes that D.L. Moody is a young preacher he had not preached a sermon that was for a funeral service yet. And so his mind and his thought was, I'm going to go to the Gospels. I'm going to look at Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And, and I'm going to find the greatest preacher that ever was, who we know was Jesus Christ. Amen. The greatest master teacher, the greatest preacher of all time. Surely there is a funeral sermon that Jesus preached. And maybe if it was good enough for Jesus, then maybe it'd be good enough for this preacher to preach, right? And the story goes that as he searched through the Scriptures, he found that Every time Jesus attended a funeral, it ended up in a resurrection. Amen? <laughs> he never had to preach a funeral sermon. I remember when uh, he was called in John chapter 4 to uh, Bethany and Lazarus has died. Remember the story, Mary and Martha? And they call for Jesus and he, he waits for a few days to come and Lazarus ends up dying and obviously uh, Bethany, he walks in and Mary and Martha are there and, and had you come earlier, our brother had not died and, and Jesus knew what he was going to do. Aren't you glad that Jesus always knows beyond where we know and are able to understand? He knows what is, what is happening in your life and sometimes there maybe even is a death in your life or a terminal illness in your life may remind you that Jesus called himself the life. You need not fear death for Jesus is the life. And we re are reminded about that in John in chapter number uh, 11 when he comes to Bethany and he mentions to Mary and Martha as he goes to that graveyard, as he goes to that place where Lazarus, the Bible said, had been dead for four days and yea, Lord, he stinketh. Amen? That's what the, the scripture says. Uh, Lord, you don't understand. His body's already decomposing. 
And Jesus made a great statement, and it, this statement is, I am the resurrection and the life. He that believeth in me, though he were dead, yet shall he live. And we know that that's one of the greatest resurrection stories in all of the Gospels, how that Lazarus, the Bible says, bound in his grave clothes, comes, comes jumping out of that sepulcher and lived for many years of life. My point is this, is that Jesus made a statement that he was the life. He said, I am the resurrection and I am the life. The Bible says in a little, uh, another passage in John chapter number 14 and verse number six, he made this statement, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. What I love about this is that Jesus didn't leave it there just about physical life, but he goes on in John chapter 10 and verse number 10 when he says, I am come to give you life, but he didn't stop there, and to give it more abundantly. And so this morning, I just want to encourage everyone that is here today, whether you are are saved and have been saved for decades and decades, or maybe you're a brand new believer uh, maybe you're still dealing with some old things that are hanging on in your life. Maybe there's an addiction this morning. Uh, maybe there is a, a bitterness or a grudge that is there, some unforgiveness. There's something in your heart that you just can't uh, let go of. Maybe there's some part of death that is hanging on to you. May I remind you that is not how Jesus wants you to live. He wants you to live in life and life eternal. But not just on the other side, but he wants you to have that abundant life right now. And I just, I, I just, I, like I've been pastoring for 33 years and, I, and I, I hurt for people so often, even Christian people that know the Lord as their Savior that just seem to be down in the dumps all the time. That just never had the joy of the Lord in their heart. That just never seemed to have that life and life more abundant. And so this morning, I'd like to give us a few thoughts about the graveyard is no place to look for life. If there is anything that is affected by a belief in Christianity, and may I just go on record to say Christianity is not a religion, it is a relationship with Jesus Christ. We are not just another ism, friends. What we celebrated last Sunday on Easter Sunday, that Resurrection Sunday, sets us apart from all other so-called religions or isms or faiths or belief systems, my friend, because there's only one empty grave and that is found in Jesus Christ when up from the grave he arose as a mighty victor or his foes. And I say to you that if there's something about Christianity that should set us apart, should give us a different perspective on, it is about this concept of what we would call life and life more abundant. For instance, we believe in the Bible that it teaches that God is the creator of life. Let's start right there. Let's just start where it begins. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. How many of you realize that and believe that? Amen. Genesis 1 and verse number 1. You continue to read through Genesis and you find all of the other six days of creation and all of the things that God uh, made for us and the beauties uh, of this uh, amazing world. And the, the sun came up this morning. Now, we didn't see it this morning, right? Uh, I don't know where the sun was. When I drove into Connecticut on Friday, it was 92 degrees. That sun was out and it was hot. A little bit cloudy this morning, but how many of you know the sun still rose today? Amen? Even though we didn't see it, we know it did. 
We know that God is the creator of everything there is and the beautiful planet upon which we live and the, and the, the animals and the plant life and the, and the glories of the heavens. The heavens declare the glory of God and the firmament showeth his handiwork. Let's first just understand, because we're Bible believers, that God is the creator of all life. The Bible is very clear in Genesis 2 and verse number 7 that he formed man of the dust of the ground and he breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and man became a living soul. Do you understand there's something that sets us apart from every other creation that God made, and that is the ability to have life from the very breath of God, and because of that, we can have a relationship with God. We have a soul. Do you understand animals don't have souls, they just have bodies, and when a dog dies, a dog is dead, and when a cat dies, it dies and goes to hell. All you cat lovers, I just lost you, didn't I? Brother Hamlin in the second service, I don't know. Or was that the first service? He, uh, yeah, he, he went off yesterday about cats. Anyway, I had to throw that in. But my point is the animal world, my friend, yes, they have, they have a breath of life as it relates to physical life, but they were not made with a soul. That sets us apart. That, re, that ability to have a relationship with God, our creator. So I'm saying that because we're believers in Christ and believers in the Bible, we understand the who of the creation of life. We also understand the when of the creation of life. I believe that we all would believe and, and say this morning, according to the Bible, that life begins at conception. So why do we stand, and not to get political this morning, but why do we as Bible believers stand against the social uh, norm of abortion? It's because we believe the Bible teaches we know where life started. It didn't start once that baby is born out of the womb or six weeks before. It starts at the moment of conception. You know why? Because life is special. That's why. We believe that because the Bible teaches that. We thirdly believe in what I call the sanctity of life, that it's special. That we should not take life. One of the Ten Commandments is that we should not kill, right? We should not commit murder. We should not take another's life. Why? Life is precious, that's why. You see, we see the who of life and the when of life and the what of life. May I give you what I call the how of life. It's what we call the stewardship of life. Because of what God has given me, I want to steward it properly. How many times have we heard the statement, don't waste your life, right? We say to young people, don't waste your life. But I promise you there are billions of people in this world because they don't know the Lord they don't understand why they're here. They don't understand what they're doing. They don't have a concept that we do this morning because the Bible teaches it and we've believed it about a relationship with God. And we do not understand what we're to do with life. This is the what of life. I'm to steward it properly. I am to manage my life. I only have one body. The body is the temple of the Holy Ghost of God. I've been given gifts that I'm to use. We talked about that in the Sunday school hour. You see, there's a reason God gave me life, friends. There's a reason God gave you life. What are you doing with your life? Thank God that all the teenagers went down to North Carolina in a youth conference and I'm sure they heard some great preaching and hopefully they will come back and they will use their life for something that matters. Can someone say amen right there? Are you using your life for what matters? We believe that because we believe in Christ. 
we believe there's a purpose for life. We also believe that even after physical death, there is what the Bible teaches of the eternality of life in Jesus Christ and a place called heaven. And so if there is an innate desire that is built within the DNA of man because God made man, watch this, and because we are made in the very image of man, it is that there's this innate desire to figure out why are we here and what are we doing? What is, we may say, what is the meaning of life? And so we come to our text this morning. Please look with me at Luke in chapter number 24. And again, not necessarily an Easter sermon, but from an Easter text. And I want you to notice that the Bible says on the first day of the week, verse 1, very early in the morning they came unto the sepulcher, bringing the spices which they had prepared and certain others with them. We, we understand that they were coming on Sunday, the first day of the week, and we know this was the day of the resurrection. Jesus was already out of that grave. Up from the grave, he arose. And however, these ladies came expecting to find death. They were coming to a graveyard. Now, they were wanting, I believe, I think the desire was to find life, but why were they bringing spices to anoint a body that they thought was probably going to be there? Would you logic with me just a moment? Would you put yourself in their shoes just a moment? It's been three days and three nights. And we know that Jesus had said, three days and three nights, I am coming out of this grave. I will rise again. But they had not seen him yet. Uh, their faith was a little weak. How many times do we go into a situation and we're we want to say we're looking for life, but we're really expecting death? If they truly expected to find a risen Savior, why were they bringing these spices? Is everybody with me this morning? The Bible says in verse number one, they came and, and praise the Lord they came. And, and yes, and I'm glad that they were coming. And maybe in their heart of hearts, they were hoping to see that the, the grave was empty, but they were expecting to find death. Couldn't it, could it be, watch this, could it be that things of this world and the people of this world, uh, it's not that they don't want life, it's not that they don't want to know the meaning of life, it's that they are looking in the wrong place to find life. Because life does not exist in a graveyard, only death. And so this morning I want us to make some application from this story to our own lives and maybe this morning you're dealing with some things. And maybe this morning you're, you're, uh, uh, find yourself, that you're questioning some things and, and you're just not sure what is the meaning of life and, and why has God done that and why has God allowed that. But we must, friends, remember who Jesus claimed to be. He is the resurrection and the life. He is the way, the truth, and the life. Notice, please, as we come to verse number 2, and they found the stone rolled away from the sepulcher. I heard a preacher recently say that that stone did not have to be rolled away so that Jesus could get out. That stone was rolled away so that these ladies could see in. Think about that. God, in the form of human flesh, Jesus Christ, arose from the grave and so that stone got rolled away so that they could come as they're seeking to find this dead body to find rather that he is not here for he is risen. 
But I want you to notice, please, in verse 3 it says, They entered in and they found not the body of the Lord Jesus. And it came to pass, watch the phrase, as they were much perplexed. May I ask you this morning, I don't know what you're dealing with in your life, but maybe there's a perplexity in your life. Maybe there's a hurt Maybe there's a, a, an issue or a problem that you're dealing with right now. Maybe, maybe it's someone has passed away. Maybe it's a, a health concern that you're dealing with. Maybe it's an emotional concern, a psychological matter, uh, something that has happened in your life that you're dealing with, you're fighting against, and, and you truly want to find, where is God in all of this? And as they come to the graveyard here, the Bible says they were much perplexed. They come, they're, they're thinking they're going to find a body because they've brought these spices. But in their heart of hearts, they want to find life. But they're coming to a place where life is already gone. Amen. Jesus got up from the grave and he left. Amen. And I'm saying to you this morning that so often the perplexities of life come because we're looking for things in the wrong place. And the statement is asked here. Look at verse number five. Let me get to the crux of the message here. And as they were afraid and bowed down their faces to the earth, they said unto him, Why seek ye the living among the dead? Would you say that phrase with me, ready? Why seek ye the living among the dead? Uh, that would be a great statement or a question to ask everybody that lives in this world that knows not the Savior. Why seek ye the living among the dead? Why are you looking for life in all the wrong places? Uh, this world is hurting. This world knows not Christ. This world doesn't have the same relationship maybe that we have with Christ and, and know what we know. And so they're seeking for all of the fun and the frivolity and the entertainment and the drugs and the alcohol and the illicit uh, lifestyle and the lascivious behaviors. That's why they act like they do. They're trying to find some meaning or semblance of life but they're not going to find it because they're not looking to Christ. They're looking somewhere else. Maybe that was your testimony before you found Christ. You know, the Bible talks about in Corinthians, such were some of you, Paul said. Uh, some of you were blasphemers and some of you were idolaters and, and, and we all were sinners in need of a Savior. Someone say amen right there. But maybe you were in addiction Maybe you thought that drugs and alcohol were going to be the answer. Maybe uh, as a young person, you thought just getting the right career and making a lot of money and, and, and having this relationship and that relationship and doing this and going there. And you find at the end of that, if, with, if without Christ, it is empty. It is always empty if you don't find it in the right place. Happiness will not be found in the bottom of a bottle, friends. Oh, it may mask the problem for a while. It may make the problem seem as if it's not there for a while, but I promise you at the bottom of that barrel, I promise you at the, at the end of that rope, I promise you at the end of looking in all of the places the world does, they find nothing, no, nothing but emptiness and loneliness. And we can only find true life in Christ. You see, so this morning I just want to encourage you today about looking for life in the right place. Not in an old dead graveyard, friends. For he is not here. He is risen as he said. You know, if you're going to be looking for life and you go to a hospital, you should not find your, your way to the morgue where all the dead bodies are. You should, find your way, you should find your way to the wing where all the new babies have been born. 
where the labor and delivery floor is, where the beautiful cries of, the, of those babies that have just been born. And I shared this last week as well. When my first grandson was born uh, almost four years ago, we got the call in the middle of the night. Why are babies always born in the middle of the night, right? You know, about 1 a.m., we're getting this call. We're three hours away. We jump in the car, get our suitcases that have already been packed. We got to travel to Richmond, Virginia. I lived in West Virginia at that time, and we had to get there because my daughter was about to give birth to our first grandbaby. And, of course, we got there, and we saw all the, the kids and got her settled in and, 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 and all the things the doctor's looking at, and then we wait. And then the other in-laws come, Joe's mom and dad. They come uh, down from Jersey, and, and we're there together. And here are the four of us, and we're just waiting in the waiting room. And, and, and we remember this story with great sweetness. We remember that in the hospital there, we kept hearing these little doo-doo-doo, like a little ding, like a little bell. And it, it seemed like it was happening every 10 or 15 minutes. And finally, we, we asked one of the nurses there, what is that dinging of the bell? And it was so sweet. They said, every time that bell dings... A baby has just been born in the hospital. And so we said, would you go back and check on where ours is? <laughs> you know, we've been waiting here a long time, right? Like we were doing the heavy lifting, right? <laughs> uh, no. And as grandparents, we loved that that doo-doo-doo happened at about 1.04 p.m. on April the 27th, our first grandchild born. You know, we didn't go down to the morgue. We weren't looking in the ICU. We were in the baby wing, the nursery wing. Why? We were looking for life. And life was exciting, amen? And, and life has been very exciting for the last four years and has changed my daughter's world, amen? As always, babies will do in a very good way. You see, we're looking for life in the right places. If you're gonna look for health, you don't go down to McDonald's, you go to the fitness gym, amen? If you're looking for a, a certain thing, you gotta go to the right place to find it. May I say, if you're gonna look for a good church, then you don't go look at some dead, dried-up, formalistic, ceremonial house of worship. No, you better come and find a place like Heritage Baptist Church where things are alive, where Jesus Christ is lifted up, where He is magnified, where new souls are being saved. Little babies are now being born, not physically, spiritual babies. Come on now. And some of you have been saved a week or a month or a year, and you're growing in Christ, and you're excited about it. And these young people that are growing in their faith, and what is God going to do? do with their life. I, that's the kind of church I want to be a part of. Come on now. You see, you're looking for a good church. You better look in the right place. Some of you maybe were in other churches, maybe even other denominations and, and, and not here to to bash that and understand that so many times people are blinded and they've never been taught and they don't know. But bless your heart, when you walked into this kind of church, didn't you know something was different? You know why? Because there's life here. And that life is not just manufactured. It's not just because we preach with some good enthusiasm and, and a lot of effort. No, I'm not trying to, to work up the power of the Holy Spirit, friends. I can't do anything in my own flesh. But when God gets all over it, when the Spirit of God and the conviction of the preaching of the Word of God happens, life begins to take form. Come on. New life in Christ, abundant and free. We used to sing that song as a teenager as a great chorus. Why seek ye the living among the dead? If you have an addiction, some 12-step program helping you only to cope is not where you need to look. No, my friend, rather find some Bible principles that will enable you not just to cope, but rather to conquer. You see, because you're looking for life. 
And so this morning I ask you today, what is it that you're looking for? What are the things in your world, in your humanity right now, the things that you're dealing with in life that maybe you have gone to the world or back to the world to look for and you wonder why you have not yet found the answer? Where are you seeking for life? May I remind you that when you look in the wrong place, you will not find that for which you seek. However, I did not say that you won't find something. Here's my point here before we kind of wrap this thing up. Because Satan is the master counterfeiter. And this world may give you something to look at that seems like it's the answer, but it is not. In fact, 2 Corinthians 11, and, and can I ask you to turn? I, I know we're getting close to the end of our, of our time allotted here, but would you look at the last passage here, please? 2 Corinthians 11 and verse number 3, because here's what the Apostle Paul said to the church in Corinth that had so many difficulties and so many issues and was trying to bring spirituality back to a very carnal bunch of people. And he says in verse uh, number uh, 2, for I am jealous over you with godly jealousy. Uh, 2 Corinthians 11 and 2. For I have espoused you to one husband that I may uh, present you as a chaste virgin to Christ. He said, this is my desire. I want you to grow in your faith. I want you to stay pure in your faith. But notice what verse 3 says. He says, but I fear, lest by any means, as the serpent beguiled Eve. Brother Tim, we were just talking about the serpent, weren't we, before Sunday school. I have no clue why Tim thinks snakes are cool. I have no idea. I I told him I'm never going to his house. I am never going to visit him. I, I hate snakes. Uh, to me, the serpent was all I needed to know in Genesis chapter number three, amen? And he probably gets teased about that an awful lot. And how many of you agree with me and not Tim? Can I see? See, you're outnumbered. You're outnumbered. <laughs> As the serpent, watch this. Who was the serpent? Who, who do we know it was? Satan, personified by a snake. And he says the serpent beguiled or deceived Eve through his subtlety. Now, the serpent was more subtle than any beast of the field, right? Genesis 3, 1. So, watch verse 3. So your minds should be corrupted from the, would you read the next phrase with me, church? The simplicity that is in, hey, 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 hey. You're looking in the wrong place. Don't, don't overcomplicate it. Look to Jesus. You remember the Old Testament story, right? about snakes again. They were all getting bit with snakes. That was a bad thing. They were dying left and right. Remember the story? And God said to Moses, make a brazen serpent. Remember that? And he said, lift it high. It was a picture. John 3 tells us it was a picture of Jesus Christ hanging on the cross, right? For as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up. Come on now. And he said, when you lift that up, all you must do is look and live. I think we sing about that in our hymnal, right? Look and live, my brother, live. Look to Jesus now and live. Don't overcomplicate it. Look to Jesus, friends. The simplicity that is in Christ. So watch, I'm done. So if you're not saved this morning, look to Christ. He is life. He's the only place you're going to find life. He is life eternal. A place in heaven for all of eternity. Aren't you glad that even as bad as it's getting down here for the Christian, this is as bad as it'll ever get for us? Do you understand? For the unbeliever, this is the best it ever gets for them. 
because there's also a place called hell. And God does not want any of his created beings, his human beings, his people that he made with his own hands and his own image and breathed into them the breath of life and gave them a soul. Do you know what? God doesn't want any. In fact, the Bible says God is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. But do all come to repentance? No. It's not because God's chosen some. And we don't believe in Calvinism around here. God's chosen some. And they're, the, they're the elect and they're the predetermined. No, 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 no. No, no, no. He says, I made it possible that all you have to do is look to Christ. I gave you my son. I, he did everything that is necessary. He died on the cross. He shed his blood. He took your penalty. All you have to do is receive the free gift of life. Come, come and receive life. If you're not saved this morning, come and receive life. Maybe you came last Sunday. Again, I don't know the crowd here. Maybe you came last week on Easter and, and maybe you heard a gospel message. I'm sure you did. Maybe you didn't respond to that. Maybe, maybe God led me to another Easter passage to get your attention about giving God the life that he's given to you to receive that free gift of salvation so you can live with him forever. Secondly, maybe you're a believer and you know that life is found in Christ, but maybe you've been deceived as Eve was from the very simplicity that is in Christ. You're looking for life in all the wrong places. Maybe this morning you just need to come and say, Lord, I'm tired of being deceived by this world. I'm tired of being beguiled as Eve was. Let me just look at the simplicity that is found in Christ. I am the way, Jesus said, the truth and the life. There's none other way that you're going to come to the Father but by me, Jesus said. And so this morning I would encourage you to ask yourself, where are you looking for life and life more abundant? Would you stand with me, please? Our heads are bowed, our eyes are closed.